Hey, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see you this morning. I, too, just want to say, if you're a guest here with us today, uh, welcome. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Jeff, one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, it's just a privilege uh, for us to be able to gather in this place this morning. And as Rob said, he said it so well, you know, our heart is that today would be a special day in your life, that every time that we gather, we look at these Sundays as times where we say, Lord, we want to encounter you. And so we pray that you just are able to meet with God in a, a very special way here this morning. Well, today we're in part three of our series called uh, Deeply Rooted, and uh, you know, I'm really excited about where we're going this morning. Uh, there are times, you know, when, when you're reading through the Bible, and, and if you're new to reading through the Bible or in the, reading the Bible, it'll, this will become, you'll become aware of this, but if you've been reading the Bible a long time, you know that this happens to you probably quite often. There are things sometimes that you read that you go, wow, that push my, pushes my thinking. There are times where you're reading through the scriptures and you go, wow, that motivates me, or that, that inspires my faith, or that is going to help me maybe step into an area of my life that I've never stepped into before, or in a way that I've never stepped into it before. And I believe that this morning, the text that we're going to look at is going to do just that. I think it's going to help us see maybe not so much what is, but actually what could be for us. Uh, of all the messages, about eight messages in this series uh, through the, the book of Colossians, uh, this one for me, it really rises near the top, and uh, so I'm just so excited about where we're going to go. And so with that said, I would love for us to do what we often do, and I like to do this on the front end of a message because I think it just invites God to speak in a deep way to us. And so would you pray with me, and let's just do just that. Let's just say, Lord, we come before you, and we long to hear from you today. So yeah, would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, <clears throat> we thank you so much for this morning. Father, I thank you that we can worship you like we can in this place. What a privilege, God. And uh, we want to exalt the name of Jesus Christ. And so, God, we pray that you would be made known here. Um, Lord, I think of the person that comes here today, maybe with a heavy heart. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak a special word of encouragement to them. Lord, I pray for the person that comes in here today, and they're at a fork in the road, and they need to make some big decisions. God, I pray that you would just lead them, that you would guide them. <clears throat> God, I pray that for the person that's here today, that you just need to protect the things that you've already put in them. And so, Lord, we just ask big things of you. Church, I just want to read these words over you. The Apostle Paul prayed this for the church in Ephesians. He said this. Let's make this our prayer. He said, and I pray for you, being rooted and established in love, that you may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so it's even beyond what we can comprehend. And then he goes on to say, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power, that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Lord, we invite you to speak to us now. We pray this, Lord, you are the one of immeasurably more. In Christ's name we pray, amen, amen. So in this series, as I said, we're in the New Testament book of Colossians, and what we see in the book of Colossians is this compelling picture of who Jesus Christ is. If you're on a spiritual journey and you're wondering who is Jesus Christ, stick with us through this study because the book of Colossians again and again and again paints this picture of exactly who Jesus Christ is. But then even beyond that, once we know who Jesus Christ is, then the book fills us in very well on what does it mean for us? How does it impact you and I the rest of the week? What, is that, what does that look like? And so we're going to dive into that this morning. We named this series Deeply Rooted um, because we know this. A person that's deeply rooted gets to 
live and gets really a taste of this life that Jesus Christ described. And when Jesus Christ described a life that was deeply rooted, he described the kind of life that would be thriving, that it would be abundant, that it would be far from average, that it would be impactful, that one day you would be able to look back on your life and you'd be able to say, I lived well. I had an impact that was well beyond me. And so that's our desire, and I believe this morning our text is going to help us understand one aspect of that. How do we lean in and grab a hold? How do we become a group of people that we're a church, that we are deeply rooted in the things of God? And then very practically, what does that mean for us? And so before we get there, though, I want to give you just kind of a brief overview, and I want to keep reminding us why was the book of Colossians written? Why? Why did, it, why did it happen? Why are we reading these words even today? First of all, remember this about this book. Remember that the book of Colossians was written to real people who were experiencing real challenges just like you and I. The book of Colossians was written to people who had real schedules, real demands, real family stuff, all the things that you and I have. They had those. And so it's very applicable to us. Why was it written? Remember that the book of Colossians was written because there was false teachings that came in. You could say there was a counterfeit gospel that was being preached. Counterfeit gospel meaning that the good news of Jesus Christ, it was being, that, that message was being watered down and being taken in another way. And the apostle Paul said, no way, I can't let that go on. And so he stepped right into the midst of that because he again wanted people to know who exactly is Jesus Christ. The most important thing that you could find out in your entire life. He wanted them to know who Jesus Christ was. And then beyond that, he said, I want you to live deeply rooted in him. I want your life to be marked by the things of God. I don't want you to be swayed by the winds of false teachings. And so he led them through this book and he said, I want you to be mature. I want you to be thriving, things that you and I long to be true of our lives. So before we get to the six verses, though, that we're going to camp on today, I want to take you to two things that we've already uncovered, but I just want these things to stay fresh in your mind. That's kind of a, and they really, they set up where we're going today so well. The first one is this. Look with me at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 1, book of Colossians again. This is um, so foundational to who you and I are, so foundational to this book. It says this in verse 13. It says, for he, Jesus Christ, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he's brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now I want to take you to that verse because it paints this reality that sets up everything else in this book. That he, Jesus Christ, he has rescued us. That at one point in our lives we were over here, but God rescued us, he took us to over there. At one time you were over here, you were unforgiven. But God said, no, by my grace and through faith in my son, you can be forgiven. At one time, you were full of guilt. Maybe you would say, you're, you were, you've lived part of your life, or maybe you're still living it. You'd say, I'm a guilt-ridden person. And Jesus Christ, that's over here, but over there, you and I can have freedom by his grace. And then we found out this. We found out that throughout this book that once we've been rescued, once God has taken us from here to there, it causes us to live differently. It leads us to a place where we think about our lives differently. We don't just think about us. We begin to look at those around us, and we begin to care for them. Our lives go beyond us. Now, I know that that's not natural. At least it's not natural for me. But what we see is this. When we truly realize that we've been rescued, by the grace of God, it allows us to live beyond us. It's really the mark of someone, in a lot of ways, of someone who has been rescued by Jesus Christ. And then the second thing I want to show you is this. So we've got this reality that 
that we're rescued. That's incredible. We experience God's grace. But then the second thing is this. I want us to be reminded of someone that we saw in the text early on. It's a person mentioned in And I don't want you to forget about this because it it gives us this incredible reminder that God takes normal people and he does extravagant things through them. That God takes maybe a person that's just got a normal day job and he doesn't just leave them in that place. He'll actually do something incredibly extravagant through people like you and I. So we saw this in chapter 1 verse 7. It says this. It says you learned it. So again, think of the Apostle Paul talking to the church in Colossae and he's saying to them, you all learned about the message of Christ from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. And then if you skip down to the end of the book, we get one more mention of this guy. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all of the will of God, mature, we're going to see that word a lot today, and fully assured. Now here's what I want us to know. I don't want us to miss this. It's likely that this person that maybe you've never even heard of before, Epaphras, it's likely that Epaphras sat under the teachings of the Apostle Paul as the Apostle Paul was traveling the Mediterranean and he was sharing the gospel. It's likely that there was a day when maybe Epaphras was even sitting in the midst of a crowd like this and he heard how he could go from here to there and how he could be rescued from his former way of life to a way that's abundant that Jesus Christ describes. But here's the thing that gets me, and here's the thing that I don't want you to miss. When Epaphras realized who he was in Christ, he didn't just do nothing with it. Instead, he owned it, and it gripped his heart. It affected everything he did. And so he becomes this example for us of a normal guy who God then uses to be sent out, and he starts and he helps this group of people in the city of Colossae. Here's my message to us on this. Never underestimate what God might do through your, what you might think, your ordinary life. And also this, never give up on what God might have for you. You might be in a place where you've said, well, that ship has sailed. No, that's not true. We have no idea what Epaphras' life was like before the gospel of Jesus Christ got a hold of him. So never give up on the immeasurably more that God might have for you. So two things, we've been rescued. It's this reality that when we go from here to there, it causes us to live differently. But then let's not forget about this name that we find in the book of Colossians, Epaphras. And let's be reminded, okay, God, you can do extraordinary things through ordinary people. Okay, so now let's get to the six verses for this morning. I hope that when you drive away today, you have three words in your, in your mind that just keep coming back to you. Here they are, just three of them. Make it count. Make it count. I hope that when you walk away, I hope that when Monday comes, I hope a week from now, you have those three words and they come to your mind. Make it count. And here's why. When you and I read through this passage in these six verses this morning, we're going to see that it's so obvious that the Apostle Paul, as he looked at his life, and as he looked at the fact that he had been wrecked by God's grace, he had gone from here to there, when he looked at that, he looked at his life completely differently, and he echoed these words with his actions He said, I want my life to count. Make it count. He wanted to have an impact. Now, if you ask anybody that question, do you want to have an impact with your life? Do you want your life to count? I think most people will say to you, yes, of course I want my life to count. Of course I want to be remembered for something that's just beyond the things that I cared about for me. 
I think everybody would say this. Everybody would say, of course, someday, surely I want to stand before God and I want God to look at me and say, hey, you, you made it count. Like your life, oh, it wasn't in vain at all. I think we all want that. But then I think while we might all answer it the same way, we all might also have some questions that would quickly follow it. Questions like these, what does that look like? Wonderings like these, am I doing that currently? Or if I'm not, how do I step into that? Or you might wonder this, okay, when God looks at me, what does he see? What's the beautiful gift mix that God created me for? And how does God then want me to express that? What does it mean for me to look at God and say, okay, Lord, when you created me, this is what it means for me to live in such a way that I truly made it count. So this morning, we're going to learn some things about how to do that from these six verses. So if you have your Bible, turn with me now to Colossians 1. We're going to look, start in verse 24, and then we're going to go through 29 today. So he writes this. He says, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Notice what Paul says right away. He says, I rejoice. Okay, that's, I, I get that. So he's happy in what I am suffering for you. That doesn't make sense. But here's what's happening. The apostle Paul knows this, that it has been no cakewalk. It has been no cakewalk for the Apostle Paul to bring the life-changing message of Jesus Christ to these people. Not at all. You read 2 Corinthians chapter 11. It gives this resume of suffering that the Apostle Paul went through. But he knows this. He says, I rejoice in my suffering for you. So he's thinking, okay, I, I'm actually glad that I get to do this and we'll see why. But then he says something that can be kind of confusing. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now know this, Paul is not saying that there's anything that's lacking or missing from Christ's death, but rather he's saying Jesus Christ suffered on the cross and now Paul is saying, and now I'm suffering for you to bring you the message that Jesus Christ already accomplished. But notice again, he says this, He's not a suffering for himself. He says, I suffer for you, and it brings me joy. I rejoice in that. Think about this. Paul had this mindset. I think we have to stop, and we have to really appreciate this, because, again, we're the, recipi we're the recipients of his suffering in a lot of ways. By God's grace, he lived with this mindset. It can't be about me. The Apostle Paul said, no, if my life is going to count, I need to rejoice even in my sufferings because of the things that I'm being able to accomplish for Christ. A friend of mine was telling me, he said, the most miserable time of his life was during his graduate and his doctrinal studies. And he said, from the, in that season of my life, he said, and for a lot of students in that season of their lives, from the time that you get up to the time that you go to bed, it's all about you. And he said, and it almost has to be in many ways just to get by. But then he said something very telling. He said, but this as a way of life becomes miserable. Beth Moore put it like this. I think she says it so well. She says, our selfishness has made us so unhappy and often instead of facing it, we intensify it. We will never, no matter how hard we try, find ourselves looking out for ourselves. 
If you want misery, just go ahead, go right ahead and be your own big priority. She just kind of says it, doesn't she, church? And then she says this, it will be a small life and lonely. I'm challenged by Paul's thinking. The Apostle Paul, he's saying this, he's saying, Lord, since you've rescued me, you've not rescued me just so that I can stand in your beautiful grace and I can enjoy the promises of you, the living God. He says, no, you took me from here to there so that I could serve others. And so I'll even rejoice in the fact that that's not always going to be comfortable for me, that that's going to cause even suffering for me. You know, I was thinking about this week, about people in my own life that I would say, I just, when I look at their lives, I just go, no, man, they're thriving. Man, they're, they're just living for God. They're, they're just thriving spiritually and all these things. Not that they don't have troubles in their lives, but at the core of who they are, I would say they're in a position of thriving. They have one common theme as I thought about them. You know what that is? And I, I call it their secret sauce. It's this, they seek to serve others. Every single one of them. They seek to serve others. They live beyond themselves. They ask this question, Lord, who can I bless? How can my life be a blessing to those around me? And they find joy in it. The Apostle Paul goes on. Look with me at verse 25. He says, I have become its servant. And so what's he talking about? He's talking about the message of Jesus. I've become the gospel's servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. I've become its servant, so I'm coming underneath the gospel because I want to serve people. And I know that this is by the commission God gave me. Know this, if you want your life to count, do what the apostle Paul did here. He knew this is how God has gifted him. The apostle Paul knew very clearly, this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to proclaim the message of Christ. That's my gift mix. And so he was compelled to do it because he knew if he used his gift for God's glory, it would help other people experience the good news that he has experienced. He took that gift and he said, okay, I'll, I'll proclaim it. I'm commissioned by God to present God's word to his people. And then verse 26, it says that the mystery, now when you look at the word mystery there, and we'll see that pop up a couple times, the mystery was this, it's how is God going to redeem a broken people? The mystery was, okay, how is God going to come, not just for the Jews, but how is God also going to become incredibly accessible to the Gentiles? How is that going to happen? He says this, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. That's you and I, to them. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of, his, uh, of this mystery, which is Christ in you. So again, when Paul looked at people, when you go to the store today, when you're out and about in your day, when the apostle Paul looked at people, the one thing that he cared about more than anything else is he wondered, is Christ in them? Have they gone from here to there? Have they experienced what Epaphras experienced? Have they, have they, are they beginning to walk in the grace of God and find out how God uniquely made them and what that means for their lives? That's what was on his mind. And then verse 28, he pulls it all together. It says this, he is the one we proclaim. Not anybody else, not anything else, no side agenda. No, the apostle Paul said, he is the one that we proclaim. 
admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone. I mean, that's a big vision, isn't it? Church, that's why we painted on the wall for the city. Because we want to present everyone. We want to look at the 675,000 people in the Omaha metro that probably don't know Jesus Christ. And we want to say, Lord, help us dive into that population. The Apostle Paul said, I want to present everyone fully mature in Christ. And then he said, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. So the Apostle Paul, and when you doubt your strengths, and when you doubt your abilities, when you doubt your energy level, know this, the Apostle Paul probably did too, because he said things like this, it's the energy that Christ gives me. I'm not walking in my own strength, I'm doing this because he and he alone carries me along. The Apostle Paul said, I want to present everyone perfect in Christ. He was saying, I want my life to count. I want to live beyond me. If you're a Christian, it's healthy to ask questions like these. Number one, am I enjoying being a part of God's rescuing of others? Are you enjoying being a part of that? It doesn't mean that there's not sacrifice and risk and uncomfort with that. But are you enjoying the fact that you get to be a, really a beacon of the message of the gospel to people? Number two, second question, am I a servant to the cause of Christ? And think about that at home, at work, in my church. Am I a servant to the causes of Christ? Like, like is my life counting toward the mission? Is my desire, when I look at those around me, that, okay, God, you didn't just take me from here to there, but God, you took me to there so that I too could help present everyone perfect in Christ, the greatest thing that could ever happen to a person. You know, as a church, we have what we call our, our three priorities, three guiding things for us. We say we want everybody that walks through the doors of our church, if we're going to help them be presented perfect in Christ, which is another way of just saying help them grow and help them become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we say we want to lead them to worship Christ, so that's our gathering here. We say that we want people to be in community, so that's a smaller place where you can be known and loved and cared for. But then as a church, our third thing is this. We say we want to help people be on mission. And everything with that is serving. We want people to look at the mission of Jesus Christ, to look at their city, to look at their world, to look at their workplace, to look at their home, and to say this. The example of Christ is that I would serve. And so if I've gone from here to there, and if I'm experiencing the love and the goodness and the grace of God then I will serve. Why? Because I long to live beyond myself. I long to live beyond myself. Yesterday was Nebraska's, Nebraska football's uh, spring game. I love our state. Isn't it cool? Nearly 87,000 people came to the spring game. I feel like we should applaud our state for that. You know, isn't that incredible? It was the largest crowd in college football. I mean, it's huge. I remember the first time that Christine and I went to a, a Husker game. Uh, it was so electric. We had great seats. We were right over here. We were in row 24. Somebody gave us some sweet tickets. Uh, we were in row 24 right on the 50-yard line. We were right behind some, some parents of some players. I mean, it couldn't have been any better. And, and here's what I remember, though. I remember when I was sitting in the stands at Memorial Stadium, I thought to myself, this is an incredible experience, right? Um, and it the game wasn't even very good, but the atmosphere was good. 
And I remember particularly there was this guy that was walking around down below. He had this big machine, and he like popped the thing up on his shoulder, hit the trigger, and a hot dog comes flying through the air, a couple hundred feet in the air. Now, the game wasn't any good, but watching four grown men fight over a hot dog, it was incredible. Now, everything about the game, it was, it was fun. I mean, I left there, and I thought to myself, I told my parents here this weekend, and I said, I said, oh, the spring game was today. It's too bad it was sold out. I would have loved to have taken you just to experience Memorial Stadium. It was incredible. The next day, though, when I got to church, I saw a friend of mine who played for Nebraska, played well for Nebraska, starting guy for them. And I just said to him, I said, I said, hey, you are at the game too. I said, how does the bleachers experience compare to being on the field? And he looked at me like, that's a really dumb question. <laughs> he said, there's no comparison. And he talked about walking the tunnel, the music, and he talked about being in the big games, and he had been in the big games, made the big plays. And he said, there's just no comparison. Now think about it for a second, church. When you're in the bleachers, you, you sort of count. Like you sort of count in like the, the people that went yesterday, the 87,000. But when you think about the victory or the loss, you don't count very much. Because isn't it true? You can sit in the bleachers at a game like that and you can pull out your phone. And for all I know, you could watch a movie the whole time you sit there. If you're in the bleachers, you can get up at any time that you want and go get some popcorn. If you're in the bleachers, you can talk to the person next to you about something completely unrelated to football, which I hate it when that happens, you know? Have you ever had this happen? You've been at the game, and all of a sudden, everybody around you starts jumping up and cheering frantically, and you're like, oh, I was, I spaced off. I don't even, I don't even know what they're talking about. I don't even know what they're cheering for, right? You ever had that happen? Isn't it true? When you're in the bleachers, it's fun, and it can be exhilarating, but it doesn't count like it does when you're in the game. Think about when you're in the game. When you're in the game, you really have some skin on the line. When you're in the game, if the game doesn't go well, you cannot leave early. You can't. If you're in the game and it doesn't go well, you still show up the next day. If you're in the game... You've learned to love the person that is playing next to you. If you're in the game and the team wins, it means everything to you. It is so much more exhilarating than being in the bleachers. If you're in the game, it really counts. This is why I say this to you. When the Apostle Paul, I believe when he's writing this letter to the, the church in Colossae, I believe with all of his being, he was saying this, I don't want you to be bleacher people. I believe he was saying, I want you to count. I want your life to count. I want your service to count. If you've gone from here to there, I want everything about the way that you live to be shooting to a vision and a mission that is so far beyond you. You read the teachings of the Apostle Paul. At one point, he was basically saying this. He was saying, I want to die. Book of Philippians, look it up. I want to die. But then he said this. He said, no, but it is better for me to stay. And you know why he said that? Because he knew that his life could count. 
He knew that his life would count. And then he said this. He said, and if I can't die, if I can't go be with the Lord, he said, it will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, he was saying, I want my life to count. When you're in the bleachers, you get counted. But when you're willing to step out a little bit with your life, your life counts. It's a totally different scale. So I want to talk to you as we close here about three things, three things, three steps you could even take. How do you make your life count? What does that look like? Number one is this, find your fit. Find your fit. Uh, Here's what I mean by that. There are certain ways that some of you are gifted and others of you are are not gifted. There are some of you that should never, ever go into our children's ministry because you would scare the children. But there are others of you that you should very quickly go in there because you could be such an impact player. There are some of you that should lead a group because you'd be so good at caring for others. There are others of you that you should cook because you're a good cook. There are some of you, you should never cook for anything around here. Here's the deal. Here's what I'm getting at. God has gifted all of us, but he's gifted us differently. But you've got to find your fit. You've got to ask yourself, ask somebody who knows you, what does it look like for me to use my gifts? And if you're tempted to say you don't have any, then you're underestimating your creator. And you and I can't do that. God has gifted all of us uniquely to be a blessing. And I'm not talking about just here at church. I'm talking about beyond that. How do we live with the mindset, Lord, I want my life to count in my workplace, at home, here in my church. What does that look like? like. In 1999, we had a leader, a couple, join our high school ministry, Don and Carol. And they've served in multiple roles all over this church. But get this, Don continues to lead a small group in our high school ministry, small group of boys. He's now done this for 20 years. And so we just did some rough calculations this week. Know this, he's influenced more than 180 high school boys. I'm about to have a high school boy pretty soon. I thank God for that. I mean, he's, he's looking at his life. They're looking at their lives, and they're saying, I want my life to count. So not just one time, but I'll do it month after month. I'll do it year after year because at the end of my days, I want to have a conversation with Jesus, and I would love for Jesus to say to me, well done. You made your life count. Well done. There's so many stories like that. People that show up around here, they rock babies, they hold doors, they cook food, they take down chairs, they act, they play up here, they, they pray, they park cars, you name it, they do it, and they do it because it matters. I love the story of this guy named Tyler. He's only been at Brookside about six months. He's new, he was brand new to church. He went a few times in college, but that was 20 years ago for him. So he shows up here one weekend recently, and he was blown away at the friendliness of you all, at our hosts, at the parking crew. And so he came back, he got online, he said, okay, what is it about that church? There's something different about it. And so he he signed up for our Explore class. In that class, he finds out, okay, what does it really mean to have a relationship with Christ? He accepts Christ. Two weeks ago, he gets baptized, and I love this. He's now serving on the same team that blessed his life life. But you know why? It's because he's gone from here to there. It's because at one point 
he was unforgiven, but now he knows I'm forgiven. I'm in God's grace, but it's not just God's grace for me to hang on to. He's saying, I want other people to experience it. And so he's become a part of this engine we call the church, this beautiful thing that Christ died for that helps people become rescued. And so my encouragement to you is find your fit. And it might take a while. You might, you might open that little sheet on your chair. You might go, there's about five things on here I could try. I would say to you, just find out information about those. Try the one that rises to the top for you. You might have an opportunity that's completely unrelated to this place. Find those. Seek those out. But ask yourself the question, Lord, how do you want to use my life? Find your fit. Number two, here's this. This is a big one. This is so important. Think legacy. Church, I can't encourage us enough to always ask the question, what kind of legacy is my life leaving? If I think long term, what am I doing today that's going to impact people for generations and generations to come? Two weeks ago was the Masters Golf Tournament, most prestigious golf tournament around, and, and it's, it's played every year in Augusta, Georgia, and it's an incredible tournament. Now, this tournament, though, it has this tradition, and it's, it has, uh, you know, several traditions actually with it, but this is one that's very, very enduring and it's this, that on the, on the Wednesday of the week of the Masters, there's a par three contest. You might have seen this. It's a big deal, particularly for the fans that are there. It's like a family affair. And so, so children and grandchildren, they serve as caddies to these, these big-time golfers. Now, one of the best moments, though, is this. Uh, oftentimes, there'll be a hole where the caddies will get to take the shot, and so I want you to see this. Jack Nicholas, the world's greatest golfer of all time, he was playing in the par three contest with his 15-year-old grandson. They're caddying for him. So yeah, take a look at what happened. Gary Nicholas, he, he gets after it. He's a good player. Playing some high school golf right now. Really looking forward to playing a bunch of tournaments this summer. 15 years old. And he can pound it. He's telling me he's, he's figured out that he doesn't need to swing at it as hard as he can. <laughs> a good looking practice he, swing. He, he only needs to swing about 120 miles an hour. That's, that's a good speed for him. Come on back. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. So I think about this. If you hate sports, I'm sorry. This is two for you this morning. You're hanging in there for that. Um, but think about this moment. Jack Nicholas, 1963. He wore the jacket, right? 
I mean, that's, he won the tournament. 1965, same thing, 66, 1972, 1975, 1986. This is the most decorated golfer there is. Two he's won that thing tw two more times than Tiger Woods. I mean, this is a very decorated golfer. But here's what happened next. He goes into this interview, and the guy asks him the question. He says this. He says, how would you rank the moment that you just saw? And without flinching, Jack Nicholas says, number one. This was the number one moment. And then he said this. He said, what I did doesn't make any difference to me. And think of all that he did. And then through his tears, he said, watching him, his grandson, do this, he said, this means everything to me. And then he goes on and he talked about the joy of seeing the next generation flourish. Brookside, know this, think about this. When you serve, when you say with my time and my gifts and my talents and my resources, when you engage, what you're doing is you are making it count not just for you, but for the next generation. And someday you will look back and you will say, God, thank you that you let me be a part of something that was so much bigger than myself. All those moments, and Jack says, without question, the next generation flourishing, that's the one. I heard a speaker say just this week, he said, the most fruitful, the most impactful age is the age range for the gospel, for people to come to know Christ. He said it's between 4 and 14 years old. That's when the most people make decisions for Jesus Christ. That's why we try to do things around here over and over again to raise up, to help the next generation. And it takes all of you. It takes an army of you. But always, church, please remember this. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, you stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not in vain. You youth workers that show up here late, you, you come early, you stay late, you drive home in the freezing cold, remember it's not in vain. You people that stand out in the parking lot when it's pouring down rain, remember, it's not in vain. Think of Tyler. You people that you cook meals and you do things behind the scenes that no one knows about. Those of you, you stay 15 minutes after second service, you take down chairs so our middle school students can have a great time on Wednesday night. It's not in vain. Those of you who say, you know what, I can hold a baby so that someone else can come to church. It's not in vain. Those of you who look at our community and you say, I can go there and help. I can serve the poor. I can show up at a, at a school. I can give my time and my talent. Remember, it is not in vain. God invites us into the thrill of being a part of what he would do. Lastly, here it is. Number three, how do you make it count? Simply this, one word, one simple word, follow. Jesus said this. He was talking to his disciples. They were arguing about something frivolous. And he said this to them. He says, Jesus called them together and he said, you know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them and their high officials. They exercise authority over them. He said, uh-uh, not with you, church, not you. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be, be your servant. And then he said, and whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. Even Jesus Christ, so we're just going to follow him. Right? The Son of Man, he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, you could go your entire Christian life and never become a person that lives outside of you, but I would just simply implore you this morning, why would you do such a thing? And I don't mean that at all. We're not a guilt, like uh, guilt, please sign up and we'll shut the door so everybody says, no, we don't do that here. But I just say to you as a pastor, I say experience the thrill of God using your life. Please experience the thrill. So you've got those cards on your chairs and I need to take you through that in about six seconds, okay? So here's the card. It's got a bunch of opportunities on it. If you feel like you want more information, it's not a commitment. You just can fill that out, check the box. If you go to the last page, it says this. How can we, uh, yeah, how can we contact you? So you fill out this part right here. I'll be honest with you. There's about everything on here. We've got kids ministry, women's ministry, middle school, high school, college. We've got things at the care center, our host team. Our host team, a lot of those are once a month. We've got community groups. We've got life care. We've got worship and tech. We've got facilities. There are things that you might not even know that you could do. Do you like to pull weeds? You can do that. You can plant things, all sorts of things. And so I just want to encourage you. And then open, if you flip on the back, we've got our local partners. We've got four local partners that are listed. They've got ways that you can serve. We would love to lead you to that. Or if you would say, you know what, I've got an area that you've not listed, a specialized skill. Put that in there. We would love to just have a log of those because things do come up. And so church, let's do this. Let me leave you with this. Let's live beyond ourselves. Let those three words ring true in your mind. If you've gone from here to there, might your life be one that truly counts. Let's make it count. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. And Lord, thank you that the Apostle Paul didn't speak to us in ways that aren't applicable. And thank you also, Lord, that your word doesn't just say, hey, why don't you just sit still? But your word says to us, why don't you go forward? Why don't you be used by God in a way that you'll look back and you'll be able to say, my life counted for something greater than me. So, Lord, thank you for the mission and the vision and the great things that you allow us to be a part of, Lord. Lead your church, we pray. And, Lord, might you be worshipped so well now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, if you fill one of those things out, you can, there's some buckets, I believe, in the back. You can just put those in there uh, when you leave. So let's stand now, and uh, let's close the song.